Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. This week on the V8 Insiders, we look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats of V8 supercars. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out their store online today at www.nobrac.com.au. You might have guessed it, I'm still on holidays. It's been a wonderful time enjoying some sand, surf and beach, but that's not why you're listening. We've got a great show lined up for you today as we SWAT V8 Supercars with Adrian Mussolino and John Bannon. Then in the Fujitsu Air White Flag lap, it is the final part of our interview with Roland Dane. Looking forward to what is now 2013 and the Team Vodafone era. Right now, you would know that Michael Caruso and James Moffat have been officially announced as the drivers at Kelly Racing in their new Nissan program. So we'll talk about them when I'm back from holidays. Thanks for joining us once again. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out their entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. And don't forget, V8X Magazine is available from the mag shop for your iPod edition. After the break, it's Adrian Mussolino and John Bannon. Don't forget the white flag lap brought to you by Fujitsu Air, our final part with Roland Dane. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders and a happy new year to V8X editor Adrian Mussolino. Good evening. Happy new year. Yeah, happy, I'm very well. Happy New Year also to 
Well, a new V8 exit contributor, also Prime 7, John Bannon. Hi, Craig. How are you? Very well indeed. And uh, I thought we'd kick off the year, being it's the year of the car of the future, which is now the V8 supercar, that we might look at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats to V8 supercars. And it's just so it's not impossible to eat the elephant, what is the strength of the V8 supercar. Well, Mark Scaife said in, I think that was 2009 when he released his SWOT analysis, that the the top two were a great product, recent growth from 93 to 2009, positioning between DTM and NASCAR features, high-tech versus a high-frequency of events. And then he said that the Ford versus Holden Australian culture, social fabric ingrained in our heritage from the 60s to today. Do you guys believe that those two strengths still hold true? Um, I think they do. I think um, it's interesting that he talks about the Ford-Holden rivalry, given that SWOT analysis came about around the Car of the Future launch and the move to sort of new manufacturers. But... I think the main point there and the main strength is it's probably arguably the strongest touring car, domestic touring car championship in the world. I mean, take NASCAR out of the equation because that's its own beast, but, you know, you look at it, four manufacturers on the grid in 2013. Um, most of the grid is well-sponsored. Um, consistency of events, big street circuits, big marquee events, so I'd say, you know, all up it's standing pretty good. John? I think I entirely agree with what Adrian has said. In terms of it being a close championship, the drivers are separated by next to nothing. Uh, And probably going into this year, uh, it will be even better because uh, you've got those extra manufacturers in. So it might throw up... uh, Well, I mean, last year we had two teams that, that dominated... The, the series, and, and this year we might have a situation where um, we might get some uh, some real surprise packets as to who will run at the front. So, uh, yeah, interesting that they've gone away from the, the Holden and Ford model, but if you look at what people are driving on, on the road and uh, if you look at uh, production within Australia, it, it really is a very natural step. Mm. Now, a couple of the other strengths that Scafey pointed out back in 2009, was the partnership of Enduro Series or the the leadership of the Enduro Series of Phillip Island and Bathurst. Well, Phillip Island hasn't survived even from this document. John? Yeah, well... Oh, sorry. It's interesting um, that, you know, there's no doubt that Supercars is one of the most diverse championships in the world. I mean, in 2013, you're going to have everything from a 60K sprint race to a 1,000k enduro and everything in between. So there's no doubt that that's a strength, but that can also be perceived as a weakness because what we've got, especially in 2013, is the potential to confuse the audience by having all these different formats sort of mashed together, co-driver events, international co-driver events. So um, that's an interesting one. That's up for debate, I'd say. Mm. John? I, I think probably where we often struggle with the Enduros is that Bathurst is the main event and it's and it's massive and it's huge and and 
while Phillip Island, the, the drivers enjoy going around it uh, when we've had it as an enduro event in the past, it it perhaps lacks from a, a spectator point of view, or it, perhaps even more so, the sort of racing it, it ends up providing. So that's as well as all the format changes for next year. I think that that is a problem in the in the enduro sense, in that we've got this great enduro in Bathurst, but the second enduro is all a, a bit sort of haphazard and and really just an extended version of of what was taking place at a normal round anyway. Mm. So you would actually move that across to uh, a weakness or an opportunity, then, John? Potentially, yes. I think there's great opportunity to do something more with a second enduro, but I, I think a lot of that probably rests on the track. You, you need uh, a track like like Bathurst that is so challenging, that is so iconic, and uh, either we haven't found it in, in Australia yet, or, or we haven't set it up in such a way that that it could be like that. But yeah, there's, there's an opportunity there. Mm. All right, now, John, it's interesting that back in 2009, the Local TV package, strong support of broadcaster, high cumulative audience, international coverage, expanded additional side shows with V8 Extra and linkages to Sunrise and Dancing with the Stars, etc. Strong TV ratings, especially Bathurst, was one of the strengths. Now, I will say that we're recording this before Christmas, although you're hearing it in the new year. Is that TV package still a strength, John? Well, I must say, Craig, I'm probably not quite up with what is the the package uh, going into the the new year, but I think we've got to remember with with the V8 supercars that they're competing against uh, traditional football codes. And probably the reality is is that the sport, although it markets itself very well, the drivers are very accessible, and really it does all those sort of things much better than the football codes do, the reality is it perhaps doesn't have as wide appeal, um, whether it be that uh, maybe it's a sport in which uh, there's a perception that, that men are mainly interested in or uh, I'm not quite sure what what the reason is for it. But I, I think certainly there's still, there's still a bit of an aspect there where V8, V8 supercars and, and motorsport in general is, is a bit of a niche market. Mm. Adrian? Yeah, I agree with John, and the problem here is that not only do you go up against the AFL, for example, which is the biggest code in Australia, you're going up against them on the same channel, on the same weekends, on the same time slots. So, you know, we've seen Viet Supercars bump to seven mate a few times in recent years, and the ratings have reflected that. There's a bit of a sort of downward spiral when that happens, so that's definitely a weakness. Um, and that's something that you just can't avoid. I mean, let's be honest, VF Supercars, I think, struggles relative to the footy codes. Mm. And um, the problem you have is that there's no regular time between events. So it's a bit haphazard, the calendar, and it's hard to sort of generate that sort of bars of consistency when events are spread across one month. Mm. Well, in 2009, the weaknesses of Channel 7's programming schedule versus the AFL. TV network conflicts with higher cost-based products than the AFL commitment to motorsport, breadth of season, were all things that Scafie pointed out at that time. 
it's interesting that uh, even now in 2013 we're still talking about these same issues and it's it's also interesting that 2012 when you looked at the television figures they actually had an up they had an upkick which is compared to the 2008 television figures which were 9% down when Scafi did his swat Well, I think something else that struck me about what you've said there, Craig, and that the issue hasn't changed too much. And and I just wonder, it must be a dreadfully difficult position for, for the promoters of the sport to work out how to arrange their television coverage. And, and we've seen what's happened in the media landscape this year where Channel 10 have had to axe a lot of staff and, and that they've uh, had a lot of troubles of their own in, in terms of uh, how much that, that particular channel is viewed. And to some extent, is there an opportunity there to, you know, to go to, to somewhere like Channel 10 that, um, you know, perhaps doesn't have the same share of the market that Channel 7 has or Channel 9 has with their rugby league coverage um, so that they can have a bit more of an exclusive hold of the V8 supercars and able to, to program them in, in such a way. I mean, I imagine that's not possible because the deals have been done for, for this year, but maybe something into the future to look at. Mm. Adrian? Um, the, the problem there is that you are always going to be up against the AFL, NRL, etc. when you play in winter. Um, an option that sort of has been discussed um, at times um, has been do we move it to summer um, and run from say, imagine Bathurst as the first event of the year and then you run until March, April and what would happen then is you avoid the AFL and NRL and you have very little competition and you're running at a time when um, people are free, school holidays, etc. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of it, but it's an interesting idea that's been thrown out there just to sort of um, have a think regarding an alternative away from the AFL and NRL because when you're up against them, you're always going to play second fiddle. Mm. It's interesting and, about the season because Scafie's weakness, number one weakness, was long season, difficult to sustain momentum, and poor continuity of events. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point that, that Adrian's raised about the summer side of things. And in that, in summer, you're going up against cricket and the A-League. Now, both sports are popular by with their own particular fan base, particularly cricket, but, but they're sports in which they often take a bit of a slower tempo and don't uh, perhaps have the energy that, that something like V8 Supercars brings in the same way that AFL and, and rugby leagues are very immediate. You know, there's a lot of scoring, there's a lot of big hits, there's, uh, you know, and, and it has a big following. So so I, I couldn't agree more with, with Adrian there that, that summer would probably be not a bad idea in terms of getting a bigger share of the, the pie. All right. Well, we'll call that an opportunity, which we'll speak of after the break. But a couple of ones that I found interesting and I'll be interested to get your thoughts on is driver media capacity, access to driver, work ethic, ambassador roles, genuine interest of the sport. That's an interesting number of weaknesses there, John. Yeah, I I think I would disagree on the whole. I, I think the drivers uh, have been very good at, 
at making themselves available uh, to to the media. That's a, I mean, with I deal with with NRL clubs and um, and A League clubs in my in my other work, and and certainly within within the NRL, it's very you, you always have to go through a media manager always. Whereas in, in V8 supercars, it is possible to, to walk up to a driver or to call a driver without needing to do that. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, strengths of V8 supercars is just how accessible the drivers are and how willing they are to promote the product. We see a number of our drivers uh, like Russell Ingle and, and Mark Winterbottom as well as Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes promoting different products on, on, on the TV. and. I think all that is uh, positive because these drivers don't have, um, I guess, the sometimes perceived tarnished reputation that perhaps some of the players, uh, and, and when I say some, I say, you know, a rare minority do in, in the other coast. Mm. Adrian? Yeah, no, I, I'll agree with John. Um, for example, today I needed to speak to a driver and I sent him a message and he said, yep, give me a call. And we spoke for about half hour on the phone. And that's pretty rare in other sports. Um, you know, I didn't have to go through the team or anything. I just went directly to him. And um, so, so they're very accessible. I think the bigger point here is about personality and um, are, are they outspoken enough and do they do enough to sort of generate headlines? And that's probably something that you could debate. Um, you look at Dave Reynolds and what a breath of fresh air he's been. And, you know, he's just done that by being himself. So it's not difficult for a driver to just sort of be yourself and um, have a bit of fun with it all, and that'll sort of help the sport mm. as well. Obviously, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of them, but you know, there's opportunities there for them to become bigger than the sport itself. Mm. Well, uh, the final one that I found interesting, and I, there's a lot that's interesting as we look back over the uh, time from when this document was produced to now, is one weakness was lack of conversion from Xbox and PlayStation gamers to non-digital real racing and motorsport following. And I think we've found ourselves become more digitally enhanced in those four or five years now than we have seen physically enhanced, John. So is that referring to the the correlation between... uh, like the sport and and what happens with computer games is that what the questions it basically uh, i i take from that weakness is that we're getting kids playing all these simulation games but we're not getting them into carts and then into formula v's and formula ford and then eventually working up the line right well i i think basically that uh the, the very simple reason for that is uh motorsport is still very very expensive uh, and uh, your parents can probably afford computer games and simulators and all those sort of things, but at, at the end of the day, uh, really, you have to have serious backing behind you even to, to participate in, in a support category, let alone uh, V8 supercars, and you have to start at a, at a very young age. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to me that that weakness really looks at how cost-effective motorsport is, and 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 I and I'd probably have to say that on the whole, it isn't. Mm. Adrian, yeah, I think an area where it could improve, we've seen the sort of 
development and rise of things like iRacing and online simulation where you sort of race other people online from your lounge room in an ace simulator. Um, a lot of the V8 drivers do it. Um, Van Gisberg and Mark Winterbottom, they're all into it. So I think there'd be good promotional um, aspects to that to sort of, you know, you win a chance to race against, you know, a bunch of V8 drivers or something along those lines. I think that's an area where the sport could do more in. Um, it, it's all about fan interaction, and that's what really counts and makes a big difference. So I think that's a potential opportunity in the coming years because um, that industry seems to be growing, growing, growing. Mm. Well, on that note, we're going to look at opportunities and threats right after the break here on the V8 Insiders. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders, where Adrian Mussolino and also John Bannon join me, Craig Ravel, and we're swatting V8 Supercars from 2009 to 2012 as uh, we start the new year here in 2013. And in the opportunities category, Adrian, the number one opportunity for V8 supercars uh, in Scafie's list is expand regional market, domestic and international, Asia, UAE, product requirements need to be an opportunity V8 supercars take now with amg and nissan is that opportunity being realized in asia and the united arab emirates um slowly i mean since that document's come out we've really had events in the middle east where it's only Abu Dhabi that survived um we're now going to texas but in terms of asia it's been a very slow uptake considering that it was meant to be events like singapore and philippines and india where you know, V8s would expand first, but that hasn't happened as yet. And, you know, so far there's been no movement on that front. So Asia is definitely the opportunity in terms of international growth. Um, definitely with new manufacturers coming in, it's definitely increased the interest. I mean, I can't tell you how much more V8 supercars have been talked about now because of these new um, makes coming in. And um, that's definitely an opportunity. That'll increase international awareness as will Red Bull, Casey Stoner, all that. So it's definitely the opportunity now to strike if they want to grow internationally. Mm. John? It is an opportunity, but there's always a, an element of, of fan backlash uh, when uh, we decide to go overseas, particularly a couple of years ago where the opening rounds of the championship were overseas. Uh, in terms, it depends what you want to do with your product. If you want to make V8 supercars global and, and have an international audience, then you know having Nissan and, and Mercedes there, and, and then I, using those links to, to go overseas could certainly make it appeal to that audience. But if you want a, a strong following at home, then you you run quality events at home. So. 
it really depends. <laughs> mm. It's interesting because some of the opportunities that were talked about television-wise was expand the TV coverage domestic and internationally, create greater prime-time events. Now, John, you've got a TV background. What does prime-time events mean when you talk about a series that generally races in a weekend afternoon? Well, I guess prime time is obviously the, the evening and, and you only have to see what the football co codes are doing. The, the NRL has their grand final on, on a Sunday night. Uh, we ha the Both codes have Friday night and, and Saturday night matches. The issue, of course, with uh, prime time has as, as been the case with, with Formula One and uh, what they've tried to do at some places like, like Australia where they've made a later starting time and and in Singapore where they have a night race so they can appeal to their European audiences. Often to do things at night, you need extra infrastructure, whether it be uh, lights and, uh, and... And it also, I guess, prevents certain scheduling issues for teams and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I think probably for, for V8 supercars, it, it would probably be a bit of a cost issue, I imagine, to, to look down that particular path. So, Adrian, how do you get an opportunity out of primetime events? And what does primetime events and primetime television necessarily mean racing? Um, it's definitely an area where their supercars is looking to grow in. I mean, we saw how hard they pushed for a night event at Clipsal 500, which, you know, in, in reality was very difficult given it's a street circuit right bang in the city. Um, the parklands, the difficulty of lighting that whole area. But I think the advantages are definitely there in terms of TV ratings. I mean, when you look at the AFL and NRL, the TV ratings for Friday night match just, you know, completely overshadow what what they get for Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. So there's definitely an opportunity for an evening twilight event. And um, if I was a betting man, I'd say in the next five years, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Queensland Raceway over Eastern Creek become a twilight meeting because I think that's an opportunity to not only get twilight evening racing on the calendar but it also gives those smaller events a bit of a bump and a bit of a point of difference. Mm. Interesting that one of the opportunities was to increase media acceptance to the news and sport editors pushed nationally and recognised as a genuine top-level sport. This is five years on. Do you think that they've been even able to make the slightest push into the minds of the mainstream editors, John? I think that there is quite a lot being done in this area. I, Unless there is a major event like Bathurst, it is rare that a V8 supercar event will make the back page. But having said that, I think in, certainly with what someone like James Phelps is doing at the Daily Telegraph, where quite often uh, there'll be a couple of pages dedicated to a V8 supercar story. Uh, I, I, it will always be a, a challenge, and it probably will always be event-based to a degree. But uh, I think slow progress is being made. Mm. I'm interested because one thing that Scafie talked about, and it doesn't seem like it's been able to gain momentum, what's to develop a rhythm, and he mentioned the AFL model 
for the week with pre and post event including judiciary reviews injury reports testing news and driver controversies that's predicated on the fact that you have any of those things to report isn't it exactly and, and that's the area where v8 supercars really struggles because the events are so spread out over a nine-month period but no, there's no consistency in between so sometimes you'll have a two-week gap three-week gap four-week gap so it's very difficult for editors to justify covering the sport when there's nothing happening in those periods. So it's very difficult for the series. And I think that's an area where, especially with Car of the Future coming on, the series really needs to be racing every second weekend in a more condensed time period. And that would help sort of build that momentum and increase that media coverage because what you'll have is one event, you'll have the review to that, any sort of fallout, and then you're sort of jumping straight into the preview for the next event. Mm. Um, I think that's the way to go, and I think that's the intention with Car of the Future, given that teams will have more spares and they'll be quicker to repair, etc. Now, John, of course, the uh, interesting thing is that we had a driver injury this year. Todd Kelly couldn't race the end of the season because of a tug-of-war accident, but it basically was one story for half a day. Yeah, and to me, this might be a bit of an out there idea but when you think of having races together and incidents being assessed during races and maybe there needs to be a, a harder approach to, to on track accidents so that you could have something like a judiciary after a race and and maybe there needs to even be some sort of encouragement that I don't know a driver is banned for a race and then you get someone else coming in and I mean I'm sure if you're a regular full time driver you'd, you'd probably hate the idea but I guess if you want people to to talk about the sport, the idea of drivers having to come in to replace drivers mid-season and, and different things could add all sorts of, I guess, controversy and and debate, and that then maybe again might be a, a terrible idea. So it's just one thing that that came to me as a, as a way of perhaps attracting a little bit of extra interest. Mm. I think the the reality here is that we're not the AFL and we're not playing weekly. You've got to remember with those codes, there's, what, five or six games a weekend. So there's just so much to talk about. Um, with V8 cars, you know, two races, a couple of winners, and that's pretty much it for a three-week period. So you've just got to try and maximise what you've got. And potentially, I think, with Nissan and Mercedes coming in, there's more talking points because there could be a sort of battle within a battle. You've got the new manufacturers within the race and if they're a bit down the grid then how are they faring against each other then you've got you know, AAA and FPR front so next year there's an opportunity for more storylines more coverage but you know, I think it's unless you're racing every second week it's just so difficult to generate any sort of consistent media attention mm. well <laughs> sorry Craig no you go do you think we though make enough of the, of the controversies like I remember um, a, a year or so ago with all the Paul Morris and Nick Perkett, um angst. And, and then there's always this sort of battle going on between Wind Cup and, and Winterbottom. And, I mean, once, a, once again, it probably is hard to get that, as, as Adrian was saying, that consistent coverage when there's those gaps. But as the media, do we make enough of those battles and you know maybe we need to to beat them up a, a bit more and and so that you know 
main lo- mainstream newspapers are encouraged and radio stations are encouraged to take it on. But here's, here's a classic case, and it's a great example you raised, because, Adrian, were you there when at Winton where Lee Holsworth was walked into the media conference on Saturday after finishing on the podium and his media advisor immediately said, you can't talk about any of these things, which is exactly what the media wanted to talk about. Yeah, and that's the problem in the sport is that, um, you know, there's so many different commercial interests and things other than, you know, self-interest, self-protection from the teams. And um, the drivers are sort of, what's the word, they're sort of um, restricted by what they can say, obviously, because the teams are paying their bills. But, you know, I think I think John's right. We, we do need to talk more about those battles within sport, especially a driver battle. Um, but the problem, again, is that we're talking about a one or two race per weekend um, event relative to a code which plays every weekend and has five or six matches. So it's very difficult to generate that, but... I think you're right. You know, we need more outspoken drivers. You need the Russell Ingall, Greg Murphy types who are prepared to say something controversial. Um, you know, the example I'll use is after Winston, when Win Cup had basically thrown up the championship, he wasn't celebrating, he wasn't talking about his championship win. You know, it's very difficult for the media to do their job and jazz up the series when drivers aren't even prepared to celebrate their championship wins. Mm. So, you know, we need drivers to sort of get off the leash a bit. All right. This is getting away from us, but we do need to talk about threats. And, of course, number one threat on Scafie's list in 2009, manufacturer support, relationship, and, of course, encompassing policy and policy change. Or company policy and policy change, I should say. Well, I... I guess that comes a bit under the umbrella of, of what's happened with the, the car of the future and and the fact that within manufacturing there's been a step back in both Holden and and, and Ford production and, and thus the need to bring in the, the other manufacturers. And the, the other issue is, I think, is the sort of cars people are owning today. Are, are people driving V8s? Is the... Is that all still relevant? Uh, I think people still like the idea of V8s racing in that. You know, I know that almost sounds like I've contradicted myself because I think you know, we've tried the two-litre days and, and it didn't work. But uh, is the sport in its current format still still relevant to, to the everyday person? That, I think that's a question worth asking. Mm. Adrian, one of the threats was the potential to have iconic teams loss of their uh, ability to afford to go racing and uh, also destabilisation to the category. And two examples, Dick Johnson Racing and Ford and Gary Rogers Motorsport and Holden. Two teams that have, uh, well, whilst Gary hasn't moved out yet, there's been a lot of speculation on his future. And Dick Johnson Racing since then has gone through, what, two, three ownership restructures? Yeah, and they're effectively down to one license, considering their other license is owned by Dean Fiore. So that's definitely a worry. Um, you know, Dick Johnson Racing is an iconic team with a big supporter base, so it needs to be in the sport. It's one of those, it'd be like, you know, AFL losing Collingwood, for example. Um, it's just, it can't, you know, happen. So that's always a threat, especially when teams are relying on manufacturer and corporate support. 
And, you know, just to follow up, I think John hit the nail on the head, but I think the big threat in the coming years is Ford's future. Um, at the moment, it doesn't look great. Obviously, there's problems in the automotive sector and um, struggling to sort of justify Australian production. Um, they're effectively down to one team with Dick Johnson being a bit of a customer operation. Um, you know, at the moment, everyone talks about the end of the Holden Ford era. That's really continuing on because both manufacturers are on the grid for 2013. But long term, is Ford going to be there? Um, I think that's the big question mark. And what would that do to the fan base of the sport? Where would those Ford fans go? I think that's the problem the series has had. Banking, it's sort of support or allegiance on manufacturers. Mm. Now, the landscape change that Scaifey talked about was rival sports. He said, a new soccer competition with Hyundai backing. John, I'll let you go first because I know this one's close to Adrian's heart. Mm, yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you have uh, a rival sport, A-League, and, and yeah, they have uh, uh, car, car support. I, I also... This is something that uh, it's probably a bit controversial to, to some degree, but I've always wondered why. Um, I guess we have alcohol sponsorship in a sport in which cars are driven, in which on the road we're we're encouraged, you know, not to drink and drive, and yet um, we have brands that are promoting alcohol, which you know might seem like a bit of a an extreme or. Uh, a, a bit out there, but it just seems to a bit like the A League having a car manufacturer sponsoring it. It seems like we're sending a bit of a a mixed message. But then you know we also the sport also needs the money. So yeah, I mean preferably it'd be better that Hyundai spent their money rather on sponsoring the A League than than putting up some cash to, to enter a team in the in the championship. Mm. Now, now, Adrian, of course, at the beginning of this year. Soccer wasn't a real sport because it didn't have a free-to-air television package. At the end of this year, I guess they're a real sport now. They are. You know, I, I, just to sort of preface all this, I do cover the A-League as well, so um, I've got sort of fingers in both pies, if you like. Um, I don't think the A-League's a threat simply because it's a summer series and, um, you know, it's definitely growing and it'll grow next season with a free-to-air deal, but, you know... At the end of the day, they're not racing um, and playing at the same time. Um, the interesting point that John made, and I think this is a big issue that people overlook, is that when Super Touring died off in the early 2000s, there was nowhere else for manufacturers outside of Ford and Holden to go racing. So what has happened is the Toyota, you know, Toyota goes and sponsors the AFL and NRL. The Hyundai sponsors the soccer um, all these other manufacturers are spending money in other sports. You know, what if the Ford Holden V8 era was open to all manufacturers? Would they be involved in the sport? Um, and now is it too late? Have we opened up the series at a time when manufacturers are downsizing? Mm. Of course, Mitsubishi wanted to get in the sport to help their A3, uh, their 380, not the A380, that was... Um <laughs> that was Airbus, but uh, of course to help the 380 launch into Australia and they were told to uh, jump off the uh, nearest bridge, weren't they? Yeah, and there was no alternative because Super Touring sort of died off in from the So um, it's just interesting to reflect. I mean, in 93 when the series became Ford and Holden only, 
um, it, it did shut a lot of doors and doors that remain shut until now. So in that whole 20-year period, think of all the manufacturers who at their height would have been interested in getting involved and Mitsubishi's one, Toyota's another, um, Hyundai, Kia, all those who now are so well established within Australia, do they have to go via supercar racing to promote themselves because they do such a good job of that through other sports. Mm. Well, it's something we could talk about a lot longer, but time is against us. But I'm sure we'll continue these chats on throughout 2013. John, hope you had a great Christmas and I look forward to seeing more of you throughout the new year. Yeah, you too, Craig, and thank you for having me on your program. And also to Adrian Mussolino, great to have you on board as well. Thank you, and uh, happy new year to everyone out there. Yes, Roland Dane, we conclude our interview with Roland Dane right after the break here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab brought to you by Fujitsu, Australia's leading air, we conclude our interview with Roland Dane. And talk about the years ahead. Now that the car of the future is the car of today, the immense workload that his team has had to perform to be able to win the championship in 2012, knowing that everyone was shooting for them when the car of the future was launched, which was really a blank piece of paper for every team to have to engineer. Yeah, I mean, this this competition, you know, that's what we're here for, is to enjoy the competition, try and win. Um, but yeah, we have to think very carefully about things will make a difference um, and uh, where to, to put our energies. Um, we're doing that very hard at the moment. And uh, yeah, one of the things that we do is we sell parts to every single team in pit lane um, from complete cars to, uh, to just uh, components. Uh, that gives us the ability to, to have a, a broader base in terms of, of people, in terms of engineering input. And from that uh, gives us uh, greater scope, I think, to um, to be able to examine very carefully what the critical issues are in a, in a car at a given time. So, um, which you know, I try and resource everyone as well as possible. The end of the day, the car of the future um, comes down to execution. You know, there's a lot of it that is, uh, is going to be similar or the same for everyone. But um, there are still the details make the difference, and the details make the difference right now. So um, it'll continue that way, and, and we've got to put our maximum effort into the details. And obviously, Adrian, JJ, Dado, they're the men that are going to be the linchpin. Uh, look, the the linchpin of um, of my uh, success in touring cars over the years, uh, frankly, has been Ludo. Um, Ludo's played a tremendous part he's uh, nutty as a fruitcake sometimes uh, but um, frankly the the people that make a difference to to AAA engineering are widespread there's a, a big group of them uh, almost everyone makes a difference uh, to the business whether it's on the finance side whether it's commercial side or whether it's engineering with Ludo, John Russell 
JJ, um, Mark Dutton, and and Couchy, and and uh, three or four others, frankly, that all help and and add uh, add to the mix. Um, and then there's quite an exceptional uh, bunch of people in the manufacturing and the side of the business that don't really see the limelight. Um, so, uh, yeah, Ludo has been a constant for me, um, and he help he understands the way I think. I think I understand the way he thinks, which is tricky because he thinks in French. Uh, but uh, out of that, I think that um, we've proved time and time again that we actually know how to uh, put something together that produces results. So does Ludo's role now change or morph into anything different now that it's one car as opposed to having to work on the car of the future and the current car? Uh, he's he's really been working on the car of the future for a long time. Um, the the uh, the likes of uh, you know the race engineers have refined the current car. Uh, um, Ludo's been putting the vast majority of his efforts into um, car of the future for for an awful long time. Congratulations on this era, and I guess we all look forward to January 1, 2013 and Red Bull's arrival. Yeah, I look forward to it, and uh, um, I'm really looking looking forward to uh, to um, another one two next year, and with um, Red Bull as the as the title sponsor. Congratulations! Thank you. My thanks to Roland Dane. There, that concludes our very interesting interview with him. Following his another victory, another championship, fourth in six years in the Vodafone era. My thanks also to Adrian Mussolino and John Bannon. As the checkered flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders, until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.